Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Amen. Would you honor the band again and their leading us in worship? So grateful. I want to welcome everybody, and although we've already prayed for uh, those uh, uh, on Memorial Day weekend, I don't ever want to miss an opportunity to uh, honor uh, our service people, those who have uh, you know, really served our country. And so if you have served in any branch of the service or you're currently serving, would you stand and can we just see who you are and can we honor you? There they are right there. Wow, awesome. Great. Great, great, great. Praise God. So good to see you. All right. I was thinking about this this weekend. You guys know I'm a lover of history. And I was thinking of a quote that uh, is attributed uh, out of a speech from Abraham Lincoln. He made it in 1838, so a hot minute ago. And uh, this is what he said. Listen to this. That's pretty interesting. He says, at what point, Abraham Lincoln says, at what point shall we expect the approach of danger? Uh, By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, Africa combined with all the treasures of earth could not by force take a drink from the Ohio, he wrote, or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. If destruction, listen to this, if destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free people, he said, we will either live through all time or die by suicide. Wow. Right? And every now and again, I don't know about you, but I I look at our nation right now, right? And I go, man, I think he's got a point. And we are, we're in a struggle space in our nation. And, uh, I wanted to share that because uh, next weekend, if you come back, we're going we're gonna to take four weekends here, and uh, we want to preach on the topic. I want to show you, show it. We're going to talk about unity. How many of y'all think we could use some unity? And so, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at it. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Pray for me. Okay? It's important. But today we've got some great work to do, and we are uh, in the last week of our series, uh, which I think has been a really important series in our church. We've called it Mistaken Identity, and uh, we have been going at different half-truths in our understanding about who God uh, actually is, and we're really answering the question, who is God really? There are lots of opinions. I mean, there are a lot of opinions in this room. There are opinions online. Uh, There are opinions uh, when we leave here this morning, and so we've been sort of un- unpackaging, if you will, for the last time, let me say this, just maybe a half-truth idea about God, but is, is it worthy of the whole enchilada? You know, like when we talk about this one perception, is it the whole perception of who God is? So we've been doing some, I think, deep theological work, but we've been putting it in a package that helps us get our minds and our hearts and our arms around it. And we've been doing this now for the last eight weeks, and we've uh, looked at some things that sometimes sound good about God, but at the end of the day, don't tell the whole story. I was thinking about this because I don't like when anybody ever does that to me. You ever have somebody 
that presumes upon you. They, they've got you all figured out. Oh, I got you figured out. And you go, wait a minute, you don't necessarily have me figured out, right? Anybody? Am I the only one? Oh, is that just my line of work or like, right? And, uh, you know, uh, it's always awkward whenever I get on a plane. What do you do? I'm always, uh, never know what, quite how to answer that question. It just gets awkward. You know, either, either you, you're in a conversation for three hours or people just turn the other way. <laughs> they don't talk to you anymore, but that's my, my deal. Um, but any, anyhow, um, yeah, we have been, uh, I, I suspect that, that God doesn't like it when we have a perception about him that might not be true too. So we've been using as a rudder in the water, if you will, a little verse, and I want to show it one more time, that uh, an unknown uh, writer wrote in the book of Hebrews, which is a letter tucked into the back of the Old Testament. And this is just a phrase, just an idea, if you will, uh, that this writer had about God. We're going to read it together. This is God's word. We're going to read it one more time together. Let's read it. Ready? Go. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So this is the author writing about Jesus, and this is what we've been saying about this phrase. This is basically what he's saying. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you see Jesus, you see God. And this is kind of the idea that we've been looking about, uh, at over the, the past several weeks together. And now today, I want to give you our last mistaken identity. And I was thinking about this because when uh, I think all the other messages, uh, probably uh, we've all identified with maybe one or two or, or some. I don't know that everybody's identified with every one of them. But this last one I want to talk to you about today, I think all of us in a way have some connection, have some relationship with this false idea about God and it's pretty challenging and we're going to get right to it and I want to name it. So we're going to talk about the final one this weekend and here is the God we want to talk about it. I call it this, the all dogs go to heaven God. Come on, that was funny at nine, y'all. The all dogs go to heaven God. This is, I want to talk a little bit about the subject of universalism. Now here's the thing I want to point out. Um, we, th this is a creative title, right? but it's not our title. And I want to give credit where credit's due. This, I got the title, stole it right there from that movie in Disney. There's a Disney movie called All, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And so I want to say, if you like the, the creativity, it's, we want to acknowledge that it's not my creativity. Okay. The other thing I want to say is this. It's really important. I want to say this right on the top of the message. I need to point out that it mentions the possibility of dogs in heaven, which is something we can discuss and debate. It does not say anything in the title about cats. Because we all know cats don't have a soul. There's no soul in that, y'all. I just want you to know. All right. Uh, in fact, uh, I, was the, I don't know if you've ever, ever heard this or not. Have you guys ever heard, um, it's called the dog diary and the cat diary. You ever heard this? Uh, some of you have. I want to show you. There's, now, look at that. Now, there's a soul in that animal. Come on now. Come on. All right. So here's a dog, that little dog. Here's the dog's diary. Seven o'clock, dog food, my favorite thing. Eight o'clock, car ride, my favorite thing. 9.30, walk in the park, my favorite thing. Come on, y'all, get with it. 10 o'clock, rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12, lunch, my favorite thing. Here's the cat diary. Day 993 in captivity.
My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangly objects. While they dine on fresh meat, the other inmates and I are fed only these dry little bizarre nugget-like things. And although I make contempt for my rations completely clear, I have to eat something to keep up my strength. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream for escape. And in an attempt to disgust my captors, I vomited on the carpet. But after some initial response, things seemed to go back to normal. Today, I decapitated a mouse and dropped it at their feet, hoping to strike fear in their hearts as they clearly, this shows my capability. But they merely made condescending comments about what a good little hunter I am. All right, I'm not going to read anymore. It's not worth it. All right, so uh, every week in this series, here's what we've been doing. Uh, I give you a problematic idea, I give you a disclaimer, then we're going to talk about the truth. So let me give you the problematic idea. We're going to go right at this. Here's the problematic idea. If it's stated in a way, I think it would, it would sound, in a way, something like this. But I want to twist it. It sounds like this. Everybody goes to heaven. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, everybody, everybody, everybody gets in there. And I, I, think, I think there's a tension in our culture around this. You, you probably run into this. I've run into this. Uh, can I just say as a moment of candor, sometimes I, I get asked to preach a, a funeral for somebody I don't know. And this person has had nothing in their life that, that had any connection with God at all. And suddenly they're, on, they're scurrying around, family, we scurry around like cats, pardon the pun, to try, to try, if we will, to find something that looks redemptive, that shows that they did love God, and then we, we kind of throw that out there. Now, here's the thing I wanted to say, really honestly. I, I, have, I have felt that tension. A lot of us have loved ones, and we, we have these questions. We have these concerns. And so I think that's, there, there's some legitimacy to something like that. And I want you to know, you feel the tension when you ask me to do a funeral like that. Can I just say a word about me as a preacher? I feel the tension too. I feel it. You probably heard the story I, I, I like to tell about the guy who, you know, he, he passed away. His brother comes into town, talks to the preacher, and he says, you know, I want you to tell everybody who comes to the funeral that my, 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 my brother was a saint. And the preacher said, your, your brother was far from a saint. I knew him. He was a horrible human being. It's not going to be true. He was a horrible human being. And the guy said, you got to tell him he, everybody he was a saint. He said, actually, there's a lot of money if you tell him he's a saint. And so he gets up to the funeral, and the and the preacher goes, you know, so-and-so, here he is. We're at his funeral. He was a horrible human being. There was nothing, no redemptive quality about this guy whatsoever. But next to his brother, he's a saint. Okay? So we feel, we feel the tension uh, in that. But let me tune it up because I think, I, I think you know, here's the thing I want to say. Sometimes if, if I leave it there, this is what you think we're talking about. Are we talking about the existence of hell? Now, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus talked a lot about hell. He did. And if we are going to believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, we may want to believe or trust in actually the things he said. These are things he said. But I don't really think that's the topic for today. That is a topic. I have preached on that. I'm not preaching on that topic today. Here's the topic. If I were to skinny it down a little tighter, I would think I, I want to go at this as a problematic idea. Only really bad people go to hell. So this is not a talk about the existence of hell. 
I find in my conversations, and I have a lot of them, that's not really the topic. Most people don't disbelieve that. Some do. Here's what they really believe. Only, they, they only believe that really, really bad people go there. I mean, like hell is for you know, the Adolf Hitlers, the Benito Mussolinis, the guys who fly planes into Twin Towers, those guys. Not for an aunt or an uncle, a brother, or cousin who just never walked with God. And we feel the tension. And I want to bring the tension in the room. I want to bring the tension online. And I think this is one of those moments where, you know, you've heard me say before, I, I, it doesn't do you any good to have a timid preacher or a timid doctor. So I don't want to be timid about it. But I want to offer a disclaimer before we talk about the truth. And, and, and the disclaimer I, I think I would offer is simply this one. We're not saying that God is not merciful. Isn't that great that we can say that? We're not saying that God's not merciful. We're not saying there isn't mystery. We're not saying that I have all the answers. We're not, we're not saying these things. And, and in fact, we can point to it. Here's a verse in, in the Gospel of Luke. We, we recognize this. Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross, the other guy on the cross. This is a guy who, I bet his church attendance wasn't super high. Come on. And, and Jesus said, truly, I tell you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So that's a verse. Uh, my, my, my more favorite verse around this topic is one that Peter says in a book that he wrote, a letter that he wrote. He says, look at this. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, I want you to notice, if you want to be a fine Bible student in this moment, here's, I want you to notice something about this verse, because there is challenge in this verse. I want to point it out. Um, it says he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. It doesn't say no one perishes. Do you notice that? It says he doesn't want anyone to perish. This is a very interesting verse that Peter wrote. And if we put on our intellectual brain uh, side of our brain for just a moment, this is an interesting thing to consider. So is this one of God himself's unanswered prayers? Because people do perish. And so God is wanting people not to perish, but they do. This is an important topic. And I think what I want to point out in this moment is really just to buy some space around, so if there is an eternity, how do I get there? I, 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 would, I would recommend that we're not, we're not flippant or cavalier about it. I mean, every one of us, when it, when it comes to earth, right, we're passing through. We're not staying. And so this is an important topic, and I, I think you want to be clear. Um, one of the most delicate places in my ministry for over 30 years has been those moments when people receive challenging news about their mortality, and they're not sure. 
and they want to have a conversation. And I think that's a moment when you don't want to just be unclear. So really, uh, I want to, now having offered a a problematic idea, a, a disclaimer, I want to go right at a truth, and this is what I'm aiming at today. And here, let me give you the truth and challenge. It's a big one. It's a big one. Here it is. Jesus said, it's totally possible to miss heaven. That's what he said. You can miss it. And uh, I want to draw uh, your attention to a story. It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, it's a story of Jesus uh, in a conversation he has with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Uh, and uh, if, if I, I want to commend to you again, if you've not yet seen, there's a series right now on TV you can watch, you can download. It's called Chosen, The Chosen. His encounter with Nicodemus uh, in that is just breathtaking. Everybody should watch. Give him goosebumps right now and even think about it. Here's the story that it comes from. And embedded in this story is, I think, probably the, the most popular verse of Scripture in the entire Bible, which is why I chose this story, the story of Nicodemus. So you'll see the, the verse. Here's the story. Now, there was a Pharisee. There was a Pharisee, John writes, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Notice that's a capital S there. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I mean, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself there. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And here's the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be uh, seen plainly uh, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let's pray. Now, God, would you give us really a moment of clarity here? Would you, whether their people, uh, friends are streaming the service later, whether they're right now in this room, God, 
uh, this may be the most important thing we would ever give our attention to. I believe it is that. So would you help us to think through, and would you help me not to say anything correct, but be bold in what I share? This we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So this is a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And uh, we learn within the story, if we just let the story do the talking, we learn some things. Uh, Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's not just religious, he's professionally religious, okay? And he's not just professionally religious, he's a professionally religious leader of professionally religious people. He was a Pharisee. He'd given his life to his calling. And one of the things I want you to know about Pharisees, if you don't know this, because we hear this uh, a lot but I don't uh, about Pharisees, but I, I doubt many people know this. Uh, to be a Pharisee back in Jesus' day, you would have to take, listen to this, a public vow in front of three witnesses of your choice and the high priest that they would give their lives, you would give your life to obeying and following fully and completely the Ten Commandments. This is what you had to do. So a Pharisee gave his life to following the Ten Commandments. That, that was the most important thing. So if, if he wasn't trying to observe and follow the Ten Commandments, he was with other Pharisees talking about the Ten Commandments. And, and so to know that tension and to have that tension in the room sort of reveals a very important thing that I think is still a tension that is in our room this day that I want to make sure that we, we mention. And, and it, it's this one because I think a lot of people strive at this. And so one obvious point I want to make is simply this one. Living a strictly religious life never satisfies the human soul. So I want you to understand this morning, this is not what I'm aiming at. I'm not going to place on you a burden and say, I want you to leave here this morning, and I want us all to follow the Ten Commandments. Good idea, by the way. But I want us to all follow the Ten Commandments, and I want us to just live under this tyranny of, of a religious life. That's what the Pharisee did. And what I want you to notice embedded in the story, he comes to Jesus at night to talk to him about his religious devotion. And scholars have some debate about really what's going on in this moment and what is really transpiring and what is really happening uh, in this moment. And uh, most scholars tend to line up around the idea that he's coming to Jesus at night because he wanted to talk to Jesus about his religious life because it was not satisfying the questions of his soul. Now, I want to pause right there because a lot of us have experienced that. A lot of us have knocked around religious environments. You might be knocking around one right now. And you're in this religious environment and you think it's about duty and it's about service and it's about faking and it's about all this stuff, manuf manufacturing all this kind of emotion that you don't really have, singing these songs and all this kind of stuff. It's not that. And if you do that long enough, here's what happens. Something dulls and dies inside of you and you miss the whole deal. It's not that. And so he comes to Jesus and he's, asking all of these sort of obtuse and, and awkward kinds of questions because he's queasy about his own position before God, but he doesn't want other people to know that he's queasy about his position before God. 
And, and so we notice this. I, I remember uh, years ago reading a phrase by Dallas Willard, who's a Christian author, one of my favorites, and Dallas Willard rightfully observes this. He said, religion or spirituality wrongly pursued is one of the major sources of human misery and or rebellion against God on the globe today. He's right. And there's one potential problem in the story with Nicodemus that I think is still a problem for many of us. And I want you to listen really closely. For Nicodemus and for some of us, Nicodemus had a struggle because he viewed Jesus as a teacher coming from God and not a God who has come to teach. Two different things. See, here's what I want to tell you this morning. You can can vote Jesus off the island of your soul if you want to, but you have to do it on his terms. And some of us looking at it right now, we go, we see Jesus as this great moral teacher. Here's what I want to alert everybody to. Jesus never one time claimed to be a moral teacher. Here's what he did claim. He claimed to be the son of the living God. That's what he claimed to be. So if you want to vote him off the island, vote him off the island in that equation, not any other equation. And so this really tees up this beautiful conversation, and Jesus cuts through all of the stuff, and he goes right at the matter of the heart. And notice what he says in verse 3. He says there is a whole different birth we have to experience, which makes eternity possible. And it just kind of wigs out the Pharisee. Wait a minute. There's something else required. I'm trying to do all of this. And here's Jesus in as much saying this. It's not about all the do. It's not about the do. It's about the done. What I'm coming to do. And Jesus says in verse 3, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born of God. And if you've ever wondered where the phrase born again comes from, this is where it comes from. And Jesus is the one who said it. He's saying something else is required. He's saying something else. There's something else that qualifies us. He's saying it's something we don't have inherently on our own. And there's something, there's a decision we have to make on this side of eternity about this. You can't make it on the other side of eternity. You have to make it now. And I remember reading a year ago, um, uh, an interesting thing, a little over a century ago, there was a big, uh, in a way, there was a big argument in, in the culture, like there are arguments today in our culture, around how one comes to believe. And, and, and this idea, William James, over a century ago, wrote an article called The Will to Believe, and he said, sometimes, he said, even before you have all the evidence worked out, there's reasonable amount of evidence there, so your decision rests on three conditions. And some of you heard me say this before. It rests, number one, on that it's, that it's live, he says. And what he means by that, it's an actual decision you have to make. You're not able to prove it necessarily, but there are good reasons to to believe that it's true. He said, secondly, if the decision is momentous, it matters. Like the, the, the idea about who Jesus is to you matters. This is not a sweet cream on the latte kind of decision. It, it matters. And then lastly, William James said, in, in, in moments like that, you have to decide when it's live, when it's momentous. And then when he said, in a way, and listen to hear me out so you don't misunderstand, the decision is forced. And, and by that, 
To not decide is to decide. If you don't, right? If you don't decide, you're deciding. You're just deciding no. And this is one of, this is one of those uh, decisions. And then I want you to notice what else happens in this text. Jesus says he is the only one who offers what we need. And there's the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved, you probably say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Do you notice it's conditional? Do you notice it's conditional? Over and over again, if you, if you study the life of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the other letters that correspond to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find this rhythm. I want to give the rhythm to you. The rhythm, the rhythm is this. Over and over again, this is what you find, two things about Jesus. He forgives sin. He offers life. He forgives sin, and he offers life. Talk to somebody who's given their life to Christ. What did he do for you? He forgave my sin. He offered life. Read the Gospels. What do they say? He forgives sin. He offers life. Uh, in, in the season of Lent, which is the, the days prior to Easter, we, we have this thing we do in our church that Kathy at Copan, uh, my uh, partner in ministry and co-labor in our discipleship area, created this experience where you come in, it's, on, uh, it's called the Good Friday, we call it the Good Friday experience. Maybe you've done it. And you come in here in this room and there's all these different experiences to help you think about what Jesus has done offering his life for your sins. And right over here, it's over here on the West Campus uh, here, there's, we have this big old cross. And uh, there's this moment where you, you, can, you can take a piece of paper and you write down your sins. And then we're, we have nails and hammers. And you, you, you're given an opportunity to nail your sins to the cross. It's super powerful. And Beth and I always try to, we do it together, and we sneak in here. We don't really want to, in that moment, be pastors. We're coming too. We want to write our sins down. Beth has a few more than I do. We're just, <laughs> you know, we're just kind of doing that thing. And um, I, I just, I tell you what I do. I sit in the back, and I just listen. I just listen to the hammer. And then here's what you don't know. The, the maintenance team uh, combines them on all the campuses and this is what they give me every year. These are all the sins. And I go into my office, shut the door, and I read every one of them. No, I don't do that. <laughs> Relax. Right? Take a breath. Uh, you, know what I, you know what I do? <laughs> I get emotional about it. I pray over them. And then I give it back to the guys, and they, uh, they go into the back of the field, and they, we burn it. In the early days of our church, I would do stuff like this, and I would just make these little fires out there. There's stuff buried. Your stuff's buried all over this property. <laughs> and uh, this is what he does. So it really is quite a picture. Your sin, what Jesus has done on the cross. I want to say to you that for me, the most important thing about my life, this is just me, uh, 
has been giving my life to Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive my sins, asking him to live his life through me so that I might be a broken, sometimes even poor example of his love bestowed upon me. In fact, this is what I wrote about. This this is just me. I have learned that the greatest opportunity ever offered to a human being, Dale, is is the opportunity to trust in Jesus, to get to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, and belong to him forever. I have learned that life and death hinges on this. I have learned that heaven and hell hinges on this. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what you believe. And you have to make your choice. My favorite verse of Scripture around that is actually this one. I want to show it to you before we close. Same author that we've been reading over eight weeks. He says this, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, not to get on a cross again, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So here's the big question in the room and the big question online. Are you waiting for him? Right now, is the posture of your life saying, I'm waiting on you, Lord. Or if you were to be courageous and answer honestly, is the posture of your life, I don't care. Doesn't matter. Or I'm winging it. I don't know. It's for another day. It's not for today. See, here's the thing, the tricky thing. You're not promised another day. I went up the other day to pick up my mom uh, in Stewart for another eye situation. Many of y'all are praying for my precious mama who's listening right now. And uh, she's got, her eyes are not good. And I crest this hill on the turnpike and this is what I see. And right before I see it, actually what I saw is I saw a huge truck with three pickup trucks on top of it, like a car carrier, bouncing off the right uh, railing flying over to the left railing and bouncing off that, cars going everywhere. And I thought those three trucks were going to launch into the left lane. Uh, The truck sideswiped a Florida Highway Patrol vehicle that had pulled over somebody. And I'm literally first on the scene. And I go running up, scared to death. I go running up, not sure what I'm going to see. And show the picture again, Tyler. And and, uh, there's an officer. There, There I am. That's first position there. The other picture, there's an officer crawling out of the back of that car that had just been hit, see it on the right, falling on the ground, yelling that his back hurt. There's another officer that's pulling a dog, a canine, out of the car. And the canine is limping because it got flung all around. And there was this young man that had been pulled over, and he was outside of his car, and they were doing something, and he saw this thing breaking, and he got up to jump over the railing to get out of the way, and the truck clipped him before he got over the railing. And I run up, and he is, he is screaming. His leg is messed up. And it was just, you know, just a reminder, right? We, you don't, we don't know. 
This is what William James meant when he said, it's forced. You got to decide. To not decide is to decide. And so I want you to decide today. If you've never invited Jesus in your heart, I want you to do it. I I would tell you to do it today. And I, I would remind those who are here who have done it, this is the mission of our church. This is the mission of our church. When we built this building, we had people who wrote on stones the names of friends and family they wanted to see come to faith in Christ in this building. And when we poured the foundation, we poured the stones into the foundation. So there are names all around you of people that were saying, I want my loved one to come to faith in Christ here. When you leave today, we're going to give you a card that shows you the process that we used back then. We're re-inviting that into our church right now. We're calling it one by one. It just takes one person to win one person to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, right now I pray for all of my friends who are in this room or listening online and they've never yet decided for you. They have felt like they could wait or they're unsure. And so God, I know that you meet people really and you meet them in their honesty, not, not, in, their, not in their denial. And so God, for any of us who are here online or in this room have never yet decided for you, God, we want to take this moment and say, Lord, would you in a way that is proper and right, would you reveal yourself to us? If you feel like you're ready in your heart right now to accept Jesus, you would just say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I don't, I don't want you to just forgive sin. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to be my Lord. I, and Lord, help me know what that even means. Help me learn what it means to follow you. This doesn't have to be scary or weird or awkward. God, I, I need you. And so, Lord, I know right now that you you listen to anybody who makes prayers like that. And would you reveal to them right now that they, they are your child? And would you help us navigate the uniqueness and the mystery of this important conversation? And then for those of us who are connected to our church, Lord, would you help us serve the mission? This is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ across the world. That we, like you, Jesus, would seek and save those who are lost. These are our prayers in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to, I'm going to let you go and, and, uh, want to say again, happy Memorial Day weekend when you're enjoying the freedoms of this world, uh, the freedoms of our nation. Remember people have paid for those freedoms. Uh, and when you leave this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to get one of those one by one cards, read the process. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks we got something coming up. It's going to be very important. So I want to invite you back, and we're going to have that conversation. Now go in God's grace, and in the sheer understanding of his great love for you, go and be a receiver of that, and then a dispenser of that love to other people. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.